John chapter 21. We're going to read the first six verses. Um, the words will come on the screen behind me, so um, if you want to use your Bible, that's great, but the words will be on the screen behind me. And this is what it says. John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I've been uh, part of the church here now for about three weeks. And um, this morning, um, as we were uh, uh, just gathering, um, John Atthill said to me, he said, Steve, he said, um, uh, what song do you want to do at the end? And then he said something very telling. He said, Steve, he said, do you realize that you've got a great big lump of jam on your top by here? I thought, oh no, that's a great start. But it reminded me of uh, a couple of uh, instances. A few years ago, I went to see Lord of the Rings. And uh, it was my birthday, so I was excited. There were six of us together about to watch the film. And uh, I had a great big uh, box of popcorn. And uh, as the film was just starting, um, for some unknown reason, I literally did that and the whole tub of popcorn went over the girl in front of me. Now, she had really long curly hair ringlets and whatever, and it all got stuck in her hair. And um, Annette was nudging me, what do you do that for? And even during the film, the, the, the boyfriend with her was picking bits out of her hair and eating it. And uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago at Foundations, I'd uh, gone along to, uh, ostensibly to help Dave Thompson. I'm not sure I uh, did that because I, when I got there, Annette and I were sitting there and I was trying to be in, in, inconspicuous, had a cup of coffee. And um, uh, just at a quiet moment, right at the very beginning, I had another twitch like that. And I threw a great a cup of coffee all over myself. So I'm sitting there wringing wet with coffee, and Annette's looking at me, and I can see that she's thinking, what on earth is that all about? Why on earth did you do that? Well, you're learning a few things about me. Don't sit in front of me or close to me when I'm eating or drinking. But many people have struggled as they've, as they've read this passage at the end of John to understand why this incident is included. Jesus has risen from the dead and then suddenly there's this strange little story. Why did Jesus appear to these disciples? What was it all about? Well, let me outline to you right at the very beginning this morning what I believe this passage is all about. I believe this primary, the primary purpose of this passage is encapsulated in the first few words. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. The Greek word that, G, uh, that John uses 
means to shine forth. Quite literally, Jesus revealed himself to them. I don't know if you've uh, uh, watched the, fil- uh, the program, uh, uh, The Secret Millionaire. But at the end of uh, the, the program, The Secret, Secret Millionaire, there's someone who's uh, a millionaire, the people don't know. But at the end, he says, I've got something to tell you. Or she says, I've got something to tell you. Um, you might not know this, but actually, I'm very rich. I'm actually a millionaire. And everybody, they're like, wow, would never have known that you were a millionaire. It's, like, it's a moment like that. Jesus is revealing himself to them. Here in these first few verses of chapter 21, we have a summary of the Bible. It's Bible's message in a nutshell. The amazing truth is that the God who made the heavens and the earth made us because he wanted to have a relationship with us. Not because of that there was any unmet need in himself. Not because there was any lack within him, because he's totally self-sufficient and completely fulfilled. Yet this God, this God so, uh, was so full of joy that he wanted to share that joy with us. That is the message of the Bible. And notwithstanding the fact that men and women have gone their own way, have rebelled against God, the Bible calls that sin. It's like the bias in a bowling ball that causes the ball to arc off off a straight line. There's something within us that causes us to want to go our own way, to want to live for ourselves, to live without reference to God. That's what the Bible calls sin. And notwithstanding that the human race has turned away from God, God is wanting to reveal himself to us, wanting us to come to know him. And right throughout the Bible, we see this wonderful message. We see it at the beginning in a guy called Abraham, someone who wasn't even seemingly thinking about God. And yet God speaks to him and reveals himself to him and calls him. We see it in the life of uh, uh, the Old Testament character called Moses. Moses uh, had turned, almost turned his back on his Christian, his, his godly heritage. And uh, he'd got into all sorts of things. He'd even become a murderer. And he runs away and he's in the desert and suddenly God reveals himself to him. We read it in the story of a guy called Saul in the New Testament. Now Saul was someone who was, on the outside, was very religious. Aggressively religious. And yet he didn't know God at all. He had, didn't know God at all. And then one day as he's uh, going along the road to Damascus, suddenly God appears to him and reveals himself to him. And we see right throughout the Bible God revealing himself to people. And God is still doing that today, revealing himself to people. A lot of you here will have testimonies of how God first encountered you. I remember some years ago hearing a story of a lady in Hedge End, who her and her husband were atheists. She was driving through the village and uh, not even thinking about God. And she got to the traffic lights. And at that moment, something happened. God revealed himself to her. She just knew without a shadow of a doubt that there was a God in heaven. And as a result of that, she went and did an alpha course and she uh, gave her life to Jesus Christ. Became a Christian, what we talk about in the church, became a Christian. Wonderful, God revealing himself 
to us. And yet the pinnacle of God's revelation, the pinnacle of God revealing uh, himself to us is through his son, Jesus. In 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 20, Peter says this, that Jesus was revealed in these last times for our sake. Jesus, the eternal son of God, left heaven to be born a man. When one of Jesus' disciples asked him to show them God the Father, Jesus said this, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. That's what Jesus said. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Only Jesus can reveal God to us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, we're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. In Jesus' life we see God's love for men and women. We see the fact that whatever their background, Jesus shows God's love to them. Whether they were prostitutes, tax collectors, whatever their background, Jesus shows God's love. Jesus, uh, in Jesus, we see God's hatred of sin. We see the fact that God hates sin in Jesus. He hates it. God hates sin. It's the thing that keeps us away from a relationship with him. And God hates it with a passion. We see that in Jesus. We see in Jesus God's heart of compassion for the sick, the oppressed and the poor and the needy. And David was sharing about that last Sunday. In Jesus we see a perfect image of God. And yet the greatest revelation of all was seen on a hill just outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Where God's own son hung on a cross and God punished him in our place for our wrongdoing. There we see the greatest revelation of God's love for us, for men and women. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And if you've never personally responded to Jesus Christ, if you've never put your trust in him, there'll be an opportunity for that later this morning. This same Jesus who uh, is risen from the dead then reveals himself to these disciples for the third time we read in verse 14 of the same chapter. Why? I believe the reason is this. For the last three years the disciples have been trained with Jesus, by Jesus. They've been with him 24-7, literally day in, day out. Jesus had handpicked them to be his followers And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, we read about how Jesus first calls them. And he calls these fishermen to come and follow him. He calls them to be fishers of men. He says, I will make you guys fishers of men. They'd understood something of what that meant. But now Jesus, I believe, wanted to impress on them the importance of the scale of the task that he was calling them to. Just as Jesus encountered these guys by the Sea of Galilee, I believe he wants to encounter us here this morning. And I think the first thing that he wants to say is this, that this is a time for change. You know, change is challenging. I uh, know when I come home sometimes, there's a, there's a moment I, I'm often quite switched off when I come home and I walk through the door and uh, after a couple of minutes of chatting, Annette says, stands and looks at me and she says, well, and at that moment, 
you know, fear grips your heart because I know that something has changed and I've missed it. Now, it can only be, normally I'm thinking, normally it can only be one of two things. It can either be she's had her hair done or she's done the garden, cut the lawn and I'm, I'm trapped because I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, I'm not sure if it's the hair. I'm not sure, but if I look, turn my head to the left and look out of the window, she'll know that I knew it wasn't the hair, if it is the hair. So I'm trapped, so I'm looking, thinking, is it the hair, is it? And then I I look, it's not the garden, it's the hair, and I'm sunk, I'm sunk, giving it away. There was, change has happened, and I've missed it. And uh, Annette says, well, didn't you notice that I'd had my hair coloured? And you think, oh, oh it's lovely, and, and, you know, and I'm trying to dig myself out of a deep hole. Phil Potter, in his book, The Challenge of Change, says this, For followers of Jesus, there is nothing more important or fulfilling than the challenge of change. Through the pages of the Bible, we're faced with a paradox of a God who never changes, yet he's always doing new things. And one of the main reasons that God engineers change is that he's wanting to bring growth. He's wanting to bring salvation. You see, God's kingdom is an ever-expanding kingdom. Jesus says in John chapter 15 verse 2 that God prunes us, God changes us, God works on us that we might be more fruitful. I heard a a story uh, some weeks ago now about uh, a plum tree and I I know nothing about gardening. And um, this person was telling me that a plum tree, you actually prune a plum tree when it's in blossom, in June time. At a time you'd think, well, it's just about to bear fruit, because it's got blossom, you actually start cutting the branches back. And you cut it back not for that September, but for the following September, for fruitfulness. It seems a really odd thing to do. Sometimes God brings change in our lives, and it seems, oh, I I feel uncomfortable with that. That feels odd, but God's doing it for fruitfulness. You know, over a space of just a few weeks, these disciples' lives, their world had turned upside down. They'd watched in shock and horror as the one that they'd come to love and know as the Son of God was crucified in front of their very eyes. All their hopes, dreams had seemed to have died on the cross with him. Then suddenly, to their utter surprise and amazement, he's back amongst them. He's been risen from the dead, raised from the dead, and they're, they're stunned. Then suddenly as he's appeared, he's just disappeared again. And then he's back again and then he's gone again. It's difficult for us to pick up in this passage their sense of excitement, their sense of amazement, their sense of confusion, their sense of uncertainty, perhaps even disappointment, and certainly their restlessness. We find it difficult to pick it up just from these few verses. But that's how they would have felt. Becoming fishers of men was the the furthest thing from their mind as they went out fishing that night with Peter. At the end of a long and frustrating night, these experienced fishermen who knew the lake like the back of their hand understand where the shoals of fish congregated. They'd caught nothing. They were incredibly frustrated. 
And yet, in all of this, it's God who's working. I believe God was frustrating their plans because he wanted to show them something really important. And behind, often behind change that goes on in our lives is a God who's orchestrating the uh, events of our life because he loves us and wants to make us more fruitful. This encounter with Jesus would have resonated with these guys long after the event. In the coming days, they would have remembered his promise to make them fishers of men. And as a result, this incident would have taken on new meaning. Bruce Milne in his commentary on John says that the earlier incidents about making the disciples fishers of men were important background for interpreting and implying the present passage. For it makes clear that in the minds of Jesus and the disciples, fishing was a symbol of their mission. This incident becomes a parable of their impending work and ours. This was a significant moment in changing their understanding, to fully appreciate the scope of what Jesus was calling them to do. Maybe you're feeling frustrated and disappointed. You haven't seen the growth that you thought moving to the NBC would bring. These disciples would have understood how you felt. They'd done everything by the book, yet had caught nothing. Perhaps you feel that you've worked hard all night and yet you've seen no fruit, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's at home with your family, maybe in your street with your neighbours, maybe in university, in college, in school, and you feel fruitless. You see, sadly, it's easy to be doing things but just to be going through the motions. Maybe you're feeling confused, uncertain, restless. The last few months have been a a time of God-inspired change here in the church. However you are feeling, be assured that what God is doing is for greater fruitfulness. There are prophetic promises over us, which are as of yet unfulfilled. God has given this fantastic facility strategically placed in the middle of Winchester and yet, to date, its potential hasn't been realised. Like the disciples, we are called to be fishers of men. We have the same commission to reach people as, that we mix with in this city and the surrounding area, just as these disciples did. And in verse 4, we see that it's the start of a new day. We read these words. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. As I was preparing, I felt God prophetically wanted me to say to you this morning that this season is the start of a new day. I believe that's what God's saying to us. It's a fresh beginning. All the hard work through the night was important preparation. But this is the start of a new day. In Greek, uh, the word they use is kairos. It's an appointed time. It's a kairos moment. This is a kairos moment for us. Maybe it was the distance or the early morning light, but these disciples didn't recognize Jesus. We heard from Matt this morning that sometimes sometimes we can miss Jesus. Jesus was on the shore and they didn't see him. How often in times of uncertainty and restlessness do we miss Jesus standing on the shore? He's there, waiting for us, calling to us, and yet we miss him. We don't recognize him. 
Let's be those who fix our eyes on Jesus at this time. Let's listen to his voice from the shore. As never before, this is a time to be seeking his face in prayer, to be listening to his prophetic voice to us, guiding us. It is a time for change. It's also a time of challenge. Fishing was exhausting work and could be incredibly frustrating. I remember years ago, my dad taking me fishing as a little boy. He, he wasn't a fisherman. And I remember being on the banks of this uh, little river in West Wales trying to catch trout. And we could see the trout. It was a whacking great big trout swimming in front of us. And we had this spinner going round, and he was just ignoring it. In the end, my dad was so frustrated, he jumped in and tried to grab it. And I just remember as a little kid, my dad splashing around shouting at this fish trying to get the fish to come to as if the fish is going to come to him you know the disciples were tired after a hard night's work what made it worse was that they'd caught nothing suddenly they hear a voice from the shore boys haven't you caught anything now I don't know about you when I'm doing something and it's not going very well when Annette shouts upstairs Steve haven't you finished yet do you know, I don't receive that with joy in my heart. And I, it just sometimes it just makes me feel, oh, and I can imagine these disciples, experienced fishermen, working hard all night, and someone shouts, well, boys, haven't you caught anything yet? Oh, have you caught anything yet? You can imagine that they felt like, and yet they didn't respond like that. That isn't how they responded. You know, fishermen are like everyone else. No one likes to be told what to do, especially by someone on dry land. Maybe they threw the nets over at the side again simply because Jesus' voice inspired confidence. They didn't recognize it was Jesus. Maybe there was something deep in their hearts that resonated. But for whatever reason, they responded to the challenge. The miracle, you see, wasn't that they caught a huge catch of fish. Because everybody knows that fish swim in shoals. The miracle was Jesus knew where the fish were. Jesus knows where the fish are. That's the miracle for us today. The same is true. He, we can uh, so easily stick to our old tried and tested ways of doing things. You see, God is less interested in our methods than in our obedience. Mark Stibb, when he was here a couple of Sunday nights ago, uh, I thought he was very profound. And he talked about how it's time for the church not just to be saying, come and see. It's time for the church to be going out and saying, go and tell. I feel that's a prophetic word for us, that we need to be more going out and telling people and bringing people back in. I thought it was very profound for us. If you haven't listened to the podcast, then I'd suggest you take an opportunity of listening to it. It was excellent. I feel there's something in that for us. We need to be those who hear the voice of Jesus and respond to his call from the shore. Some have argued that the disciples shouldn't have been in Galilee fishing at that time. You know, there's no hint of a rebuke from Jesus. But D.A. Carson says this, It's impossible to imagine any of this taking place in the book of Acts after Pentecost, when they had been filled with the Spirit. You see, the simple lesson for us to learn from this is that as the, G, as the disciples went out on their own initiative, they caught nothing. But when they listened to Jesus' voice, there was a catch. 
We need to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. We've been hearing that this morning about the Spirit filling us and being poured out of us in streams of living water. We need to be attentive and be people who are filled with the Spirit. We need to do what He says. You see, it's, He is the one that engineers a catch. Are you prepared for Jesus' challenge this morning? Maybe to do things a little differently in the months ahead. Who knows what Jesus is going to call us to do? Who knows what his voice is going to say to us? We want to be those who are attentive to his voice. Thirdly, it's a time for a corporate response. Interestingly, Jesus speaks to them as a group, trusting them to make it happen. Their response is to work together. They throw the net out together. They pull it in together. Their response is to work together. They work as a team. Everyone was involved. No one was cynically standing back saying, oh, I wonder, I'll get involved if it works. They all got involved. How can we practically work together in this great commission that we've been given by Jesus? There are all sorts of ways, but let me just suggest a few. First, it be in prayer. You know, when Paul encourages us to pray in his letters, it's, uh, they're encouragements given to groups of people. They're given to churches. We read them individualistically. When Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, we need to be praying together to apply that in the sense that Paul was talking about it. We need to be people who are given to prayer. It's a great opportunity tonight as we gather for prayer. To be together and to seek his face, to hear his voice. Let's be those who are committed to prayer, working together. Looking to pull this net in together. We can do it in welcoming. You can welcome people even if you haven't got an orange t-shirt on. Hallelujah. If you, there's someone you don't know, and I tell you, there's lots of people here this morning that I don't know, you can introduce yourself to them and welcome them, even if you haven't got an orange t-shirt on. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can work together in this. We can be the most welcoming church. We can do it in community groups. Christmas is coming. Hallelujah. I love Christmas. It's coming. It's a great opportunity. It's a God-given opportunity for us. What can we do in our community groups to be fruitful? How can we work together? Maybe you haven't got a a big front room. Maybe you you don't feel that you can have many people into your house. But maybe there's someone in your community group who has got a big front room and you can work together in doing something. Inviting neighbours, friends in, getting to know them, being friendly, building bridges, loving people. Jesus loved being with people. Wherever people were, Jesus was there in the midst. Let's be people like that. We can be people who support other people's efforts. We can do it practically in prayer. You can help out in all sorts of things. The the other week I went along to the, the language cafe. You can help in all sorts of ways. You can do it financially. You could join a healing on the street team. We were hearing about that from Dave Mace last Sunday. We can get involved in that together. Maybe you're thinking, oh, it's easy for you standing at the front. It's easy for you to say that. It's not so easy for me. 
Well, I believe John gives us some encouragement in this passage. He names five disciples. Two are unnamed. This is for everyone. This isn't just for leaders. This isn't just for people with profile or anything like that. It's for all of us to be working together. It's about all of us. Finally, it's time for a catch. You see, Jesus is interested in what we catch. Boys, have you caught anything? I remember going out fishing uh, uh, some years ago on a boat, and there were about ten guys and one girl, and we were all vying for who was going to... I didn't catch anything all day. But the girl with us, Helen, she'd never been fishing before, and she pulled in about a 25-pound cod. It was massive. All the blokes there were like... And they're all, then they're all fishing harder for the next hour or two, desperately trying to catch something. She came home with this whacking fish. Most of us came home with nothing. You see, it's important to us what we catch. We were all thinking, oh, no, I'm going home with nothing. And yet Helen's going home with a 25-pound cod. Massive thing. And we, uh, it's very easy to slip into the trap of thinking that having a catch isn't that important. It's the taking part that counts. It doesn't matter about winning. It's the playing the game that matters. Jesus, let me say to you, Jesus doesn't understand what you're talking about. A catch is important to Jesus. Jesus wants us to have a catch. When Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus expects us to have a catch. Jesus expects us to be fruitful. That's the purpose of the church. Hallelujah. We can take courage from that. But it's not about, it's not a numbers game either. You know, sometimes we can get really focused on numbers. It's not a numbers game. Jesus is interested in individuals. Jesus is interested in the ones and twos as well as the crowds. And you see that in Jesus' ministry, how he'll suddenly he'll focus on just one person in a crowd. Sometimes he ministers to loads, but sometimes it's just the one. And so we mustn't just get caught up in numbers, but it is important that we have a catch. Jesus wants us to be fruitful. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus wants us to be fruitful. Hallelujah. Maybe you've just become infected with disappointment. Maybe you've You've, you've, in your heart, you've been looking for results and nothing has happened. And you're just feeling frustrated inside. Maybe your community group has lost its way in this and you've just become, started to become very fellowship focused. Just focused on one anothering. That's great, but Jesus wants you to be fruitful. This is what Tom Wright says. He sums this up so well when he says this. Jesus has given his followers a strange and striking commission in chapter 20. They're to work for him. They're to be filled with God's breath and be sent into the world as Jesus had been. But if they try to do it in their own way, they will fail. They'll toil all night and take nothing. The only way for them is to admit defeat, to listen afresh to Jesus' voice and to do what he says then there is no knowing what they will achieve. Stand in your mind's eye with the disciples in the boat. What projects have you been laboring over and getting nowhere? Watch for the dawn. Watch for the figure on the shore. Listen for his voice 
and then do whatever he tells you. Hallelujah. I'm going to draw this morning to a close, but I believe it's appropriate for us to respond to Jesus. This is all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about, uh, 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 it's about him. He wants us to be fruitful. We want to be fruitful for him, for his glory. It says in Proverbs that in a multitude of people is a king's glory. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He deserves a multitude of people because he has given his life that we might live. Hallelujah. Doesn't that deserve a a cry of hallelujah? It does, doesn't it? He is worthy. He deserves it. And so we want to be fruitful for him. It's not about us. It's not that we would look good. It's that he would look good. He is wonderful. Hallelujah. Let's stand together.